Morning K2, how you guys doing? Yeah, way to be on time to church. You guys rock. Hey, my name is Derek Murphy. I'm one of the guys here on the team. And I just want to say thank you for being here today. Like if, especially those of you who are new, if you're first time guest here today at K2, just want to say thank you for having the courage to walk through our doors and, uh, and come and check us out. We love that you're here, and in fact, we just love that everybody is uh, here, and, and we just get to celebrate what God's up to today. So, hey, we're starting a brand new sermon series today, and it's called Note to Self, and really, we're going to be looking at the barriers that we face to real connection in our life, and so we're going to look at four weeks, four barriers to, to actually connecting into community, connecting into relationship, and finding meaningful, healthy relationships. And today, uh, we're actually going to be on, uh, the, the title is Stop Judging Yourself. And I don't know if you caught the, the video right there, but it's interesting. We often see ourselves completely different than the people around us, right? It's like, there was so many examples right there where, in fact, the best thing about this person was the thing that they were most self-conscious about, the thing that they were judging their self most harshly for. And so today we're actually going to be diving into that reality. And specifically, one of the things that I just, as a church, we want to have happen here, a vision piece for us is that we want you to be able to walk in through these doors and be known, to be fully known, and to be loved. And, you know, that's something to say, something nice to say, but here's the reality is that that many of us we know that if we're fully known, at least this is what our, our mind is telling us, I think it's a lie, uh, is if we're fully known, we're going to be judged and we're going to be rejected, right? That is something that, that's dealing with all of us. We're all going, hey, I'm, I'm actually hiding a little bit if I'm going to be honest. I don't want to show you my full self. I don't want to be fully known because if I'm fully known, people are going to look at me differently, right? That's something we're all dealing with. And we're actually smart in doing that in some ways. We're trying, it's a self-protection motivation that we have. And uh, we all have been there because we have, uh, we've been through junior high, right? We've, (laughs) We've lived out the judgment of somebody finding out something about us that they exploited. Or maybe you were in high school and somebody found out that you like Nickelback, right? It's like, oh no, (laughs) you know, or or, uh, you know, there's some people here who are Lions fans, right? And uh, you would think just it would be enough for them to have to deal with the crushing losses every single week. But you know that it's going to get exploited by people as well, you know, if they find out that you're a Lions fan. So these are the things that we face all the time. You know, one of the, uh, just the truths about me is that I, I, I'm not good at dancing. I have no, very little rhythm. I'm six foot four and I'm really, really, really white, you know? And it shows when you, you try to see me dancing. So I don't. I don't go anywhere and dance. Uh, but I love to sing and dance. And so I do it only in my house when I'm cooking. With, and, and, I, and if you come over to my house to eat and I'm still cooking, I'm not going to be dancing in front of you by then. Uh, and I really, like, I really like singing and dancing to hip-hop, right? It's like, it's a lot of fun for me to do that. And, and I'm really, really white, right? So it's like especially noticeable there. And, and so it's one of those things um, that I love to do. In fact, I, I really, really enjoy it. In fact, I, I enjoy it more than some of the things I will post on social media about. But I've never posted a video or even a comment about me singing and dancing to hip hop anywhere. Like, you're not gonna find that out there on the web in any place. Like, if my wife posted something like that, then there would be problems in our marriage, okay? So, (laughs) okay, good. But here, I mean, that's just, so we we create, we create these smoke screens, we create these, uh, these, uh, like a picture of ourself. We create a version of ourself that we put out there for everybody to see, right? This is, this is universal, right? Uh, this isn't just me. We, we create a version of ourself that is more likable, more lovable, right? Or I don't know what it is that you want to 
show off, but it might be something you want to be more feminine or you want to be more masculine. I'll tell you what, growing a beard, that's the way to go right there. You can, you can, put, on the, you can put the show on right there. So there, there are ways in which we portray ourselves. We put this, this, this wall out there and we say, hey, we want to just show this off. And so today we're going to be diving into what that looks like. And Jesus actually speaks right into this issue and he, he speaks into this issue in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. So let's, let's go there together. You guys ready to get diving into the text today? Yeah, you with me this morning? Sweet. Okay. Let's dive on in. It says this in Matthew 5, 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. We try to do that, right? But all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, a lot of you just took a deep breath because you thought I was going someplace with this sermon that was really scary. And then you read this passage and you're like, oh man, guess what? I don't have any issues with taking oaths. And I especially don't have any issues with taking oaths when it comes to making an oath on the temple or the lampstand or the footstool or any of those types of things. I have no issues with that. So Jesus, me and you got this down. We're good to go, right? It's like there's more going on here than meets the eye. And it especially starts to come up when he says, may your yes be yes, and your no be no. He's actually talking about the way that we present ourselves to the people around us with our words. How do we do that? And so there's this great quote uh, by a guy named Dallas Willard, a great thinker, and he, in the Divine Conspiracy, specifically talks about Matthew chapter 5, and he says this, the essence of swearing that Jesus targets here is about invoking something or someone else, especially God, to make your words seem more significant and weighty. The aim is to impress others with your seriousness or piety so that you can get what you want. It's a device of manipulation that is designed to override the judgment or input of others in order to possess them for your own purposes. It's manipulation or as we say it in our culture, it's spin. And Jesus says that it's evil. Instead of loving and honoring others with your truthfulness, the intent is to get one's way by verbal manipulation of thoughts and the choices of others. Do you guys get what's going on here, right? We all know what spin is. We see it every single day on television, right? There's a person or a family that goes into a fast food restaurant, except you look at them and, on, and you know rationally in your mind, these people do not eat fast food all the time because they look like Olympic athletes, right? But then you see them eating the, the burger or, and drinking the Coke, and you go, man, they look so happy. Man, they look so good. Man, those people look successful. And the advertisers wouldn't spend that much money on it if it didn't work and we didn't show up there, right? It's like, this is spin. If you actually look at what that lives, there's documentaries on what happens to you if you eat every day at a fast food restaurant, right? So we know what you're gonna, what's going to happen there. We rationally know that's not the truth, except we take it in and we make it our reality. But the truth is, is that we actually have become experts just as much as those advertisers, right? We know how to spin our reality so that we can put on a show for the people around us. And really, it gets even worse when we take that spin, that verbal smokescreen, and we actually bring God into it, right? And it's, this is some of what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about oaths. He's actually talking about the way we manipulate God language because I don't know about you, but I've never actually... Uh, talk to somebody about, hey, uh, let's go to lunch. Where are we going to go? I've never heard somebody say, oh, well, let's just pray about that, you know? And then I've never, I've never heard them when we're talking about, okay, what are we going to get for, uh, for, for lunch today? It's like, well, I feel a real peace about this burger right now, you know? Uh, I think it's God's will that I get the, uh, the Caesar salad today, you know? It's like, there's some really odd language within the church that you never hear anywhere else. And part of that is the fact that 
church people are just odd in general, right? You can, you, we can all vouch for that. But it's because we are putting God first and we're trying to figure out how that actually interacts with the rest of our life. And so there's two ways we can take these languages. There's actually a sincere way. There's people, there's all of us in this room, we're struggling with how do we know God's will. Now, you might be praying, discerning, seeking after God, seeking him in his, in his word, talking to people around you who are wise and godly and trying to get insight into what you're supposed to do, what job you're supposed to take, who you're supposed to marry, all these things. And after all this time putting into that, you might feel, man, this is God's will for me to go this direction. And that's great. That's sincere. But we also know, we've, we, many of us have probably been here when You want to keep somebody at arm's length. It's like, I don't want your judgment and I don't want your input. That's what Dallas Willard said. So I'm going to say this. I'm at peace with this with me and God right now. Even if you've never even prayed about it, we can take God language and use it in such a way to put people at arm's length and create this, this, this like facade that we want other people to see about us and to think that this is what's true. But it isn't what's true. And we, we've become really, really good at using our words. In fact, we don't just use God language. We do a lot of other things. I don't know there's, if you've been talking to somebody ever and they start dropping people's names, right? It's like using somebody else's uh, personality or fame or whatever else to bolster our own personality or areas that we feel like we have gaps. I've been uh, a perpetrator of this before when I was in grad school in Tennessee. There was a guy I would rock climb with who was a local author, kind of well-known in some circles. And, and so I would, uh, you know, I, 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 when Facebook first came out when I was in grad school, I was one of the first. I would, I would post pictures of him and I on there and I'd feel good about the fact that I was with this guy and now everybody else knows I was with this guy, right? And it's like, what in the world is going on there, right? Or you know the, 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 the fish story that always gets bigger? Like we, we, we are good at embellishing, right? It's like telling a story about who we are, but every time it gets a little bigger, man, I was, I ran this marathon. It took me five hours. And next year it's like, oh yeah, two years ago I ran this marathon. I, man, I got it done in two hours. And then man, I'm like a, a uh, uh, 130 marathoner, you're just like, oh, you look like it, right? It's like, <laughs> you're, you're pretty good. You know, or even more than that, it's, you, you may not be straight out telling lies. You may just be, you know, making sure that you're protecting your reputation by having the story come out rosier than maybe you should, right? It's like, you always tell it in just such a way that you're not saying anything wrong or you're not saying any lies, but uh, you're definitely coming out sounding pretty good in the midst of that. And so I have one story in which I personally have done this recently. Uh, a couple weeks ago, two, two, three weeks ago, I had a Life Together leader who was talking to me, asked me a very specific question. And I knew when I first surveyed my soul, the answer was somewhat nuanced. There was, there was a lot that I could say about this. But instead of doing that, I just went with a very straightforward answer, and that answer was 90% the truth. I was not lying in giving this answer, but I was not telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? If I was going to be standing in front of a court, I would have been perjuring myself because there was some in here that was still, uh, that was leaving out, right? And so in my mind, I, I went and I kept moving forward, And I didn't think another thing about it until it came back to me. This guy had talked to somebody else who knew the full truth, (laughs) right? Dun, 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 right? And and then they they both come to me and they're like, what's the deal, Derek? Are you lying to us? You know, they didn't actually do that. But um, that's, I had to go back. I actually had to go back around to both of those guys and apologize and just be like, you know what? It would have been really awesome if I would have just come up to you and said, yeah, this is the way I would have done it at this point in time. This is the way I would have done it here, and this is how I am now, you know, and give the nuanced answer. I knew the nuanced answer was the right thing, and I knew that if I would have given it, though, that there was a potential that this, between this person and I, um, my credibility would have been just a little bit lower, right? And so I knew the 90% truth was the truth that was going to definitely make me look just a little bit rosier than I am, right? This is something 
that we can all look at and go, yeah, um, we may not have a problem with oath-taking, but we all have a problem with this, with putting together this verbal smoke screen that really tells a different story about who I am. But here's the, the reality, is that we all, we all want to be known and loved, right? And we all want to know other people. Like, the irony of this whole thing is we want to know other people and be known, but the truth is, is that we're all hiding from each other, right? It's like we're, we're all putting up this, this verbal smokescreen and keeping each other from really seeing ourselves. And what this does is it, it creates an inopportunity for ever creating lasting and authentic, healthy relationships. Because what happens is that people never get to know you. And even if they really like this version of you, there's a problem with this because you get to go home and when you go home and you're by yourself, you know that even if this version is likable, you're not sure if this version is likable, right? Are they ever going to really love me? And so you get to be by yourself and feel just as lonely as you ever did. And here's another reality of living that life is that this takes a lot of work, right? Keeping up appearances takes a whole lot of work and eventually, eventually it's going to be too much work and you're not going to be able to do this anymore. And some in that very vulnerable space and time, people are going to see you for who you really are. And are you going to be okay with that? Right? Yeah, that, that's really the question. Are you okay with people actually knowing you? Now, we want to create a, a, ch a church culture where you are known and we, where you are loved. Now, here's the deal, is that you cannot be loved if you are not known. It's impossible for us to love something we cannot know. So you cannot keep this thing going, this, this spin, right? And actually maintain real and close relationships. The two cannot be one. So many of us, I think you, you're understanding where I'm going, um, but the, the, the pain, there's a lot of pain in actually being honest about who we are and living in the light because many of us actually have what we'd call a deep, dark secret in our souls. Now, uh, many of us are carrying that around and haven't shared it even with one person. Now, 40 years ago, this was, for those of you who are blanks, I forgot to add this in the very front of the sermon. So 40 years ago, the average American had two to three close friends, somebody that they could fide in and share these types of things with, their deep, dark secrets. Today, the same survey was done, and the average American has zero close friends. Zero people that they feel like they can confide in. And if we're all honest with ourselves, there are things each one of us is carrying today that's causing a weight of shame and guilt. And there, there is something that we're holding back that we've never told anyone before. And so there's a, a great story that I want to bring up today out of the scriptures. It's about this ancient Israelite king named David. And this guy... Uh, he has an, just the biggest, deepest, darkest secret uh, that you've ever known. It's way worse than, I'd say, 99% of the deep, dark secrets that you're keeping safe right now and hidden and not telling anybody about. Okay, so he, uh, this guy, he, he had committed adultery. And then in the midst of trying to create a cover-up, he ends up committing murder. So this guy's an adulterer and a murderer, right? Who has the, you know, out of everybody in the world, um, he has all the reason to have shame in the midst of this. And to continue, he has a lot of power too, right? He is the head of state. I don't know, this, this is very rare for heads of state to do and politicians, but he, you know, he, he's very motivated to create some spin and create cover-ups. You know, that's something that we don't see often, but he does this, right? He's doing this in this process. And then this man of God confronts him, this guy named Nathan, right? And he says, hey, there's this, he tells this story and he, he confronts uh, 
David with the truth. And David, at that minute, this is in 2 Samuel, breaks down and confesses to God. But right now, at this point, it's just between him and this prophet, this man of God named Nathan, right? And so we, we get a little insight out of this psalm. It's Psalm 51. We get some insight into his story and what he's dealing with. He at least doesn't just keep it between himself and Nathan. He takes this to God. So let's read out of Psalm uh, chapter 51. Let's, let's look at starting in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He's just saying, man, I just feel gross. Can you imagine being in his shoes? We can all put ourselves there and say, I, I feel the same way quite often. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I can't get away from it. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Let's keep going. So you are right to verdict me, or in your verdict, and, to ju- and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I, man, I've been depraved since the day I was born. Yet you desired faithfulness. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be cleansed. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquity. He's pleading with God right here. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. How many of you have been praying that prayer for so long? Man, God, just clean me. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Man, he's approaching God and he's just saying, God, without you, Without you, I don't have anything. I can't approach you. You've got to come to me. You've got to clean me out. You've got to bring your spirit into me because right now, I can't even stand myself. How many of you have felt this way before? The exact same way David is feeling in this scripture. Man, I could say we're all in the same boat, aren't we? The enemy wants, to, wants for you to believe that whatever your deep, dark secret is, it's you're the only person that's dealing with that. And that's just not true. That is a lie. I'm telling you now that we all have ways in which we feel exactly like this. Where it's not just our idiosyncrasies or the ways in which we're unique um, that we're trying to create this smoke stream and this spin, right? It's the fact that we actually have stuff we've done that we're guilty of and we're trying to hide it. Um, this is a great example for David to actually go to God, right? The fact that he can go to God is an example for us to say, hey, in the midst of your sin, it's so easy to isolate yourself from everybody, including God, but he goes to God. And not only that, let's go to the very first part of the scripture. This is really, really interesting and, and, and really, really hard to read, but let's go there. Read this, Psalm 51, it says, For the director, this is before verse 1, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David was, had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Okay, get this. He writes his worst moment, his deepest, darkest sin, into a song. He makes it into a poem, and then he publishes it to the choir director who's the lead singer at the temple where all of the Israelites come to worship God. And he says, hey, guess what? I've got a great idea. Make this a song that we all sing to worship how amazing our God is. Now, how many of you guys want to go out there and just write down your deepest, darkest secret and publish it to us, give it to Mike Rutledge, and then next week we're going to sing it up here on the stage. Does that sound good to everybody? Man, the, the cojones it takes for David to show up and do this, right? It's like not only is he being completely honest with God, he's putting everything out in the light. We've never seen a politician do this, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender, but just bear with me a second. I've never had sexual relations with this woman. Okay, wait for it. I did not inhale, right? 
<laughs> right? Like, we, 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 try to, we try to spin. We try to uh, tell a story. We try to make somebody else's, this isn't just politicians, okay? Try to make somebody else's sin look so much worse. In comparison, he's way, he's way up here and we're way down here. We're okay, right? It's like we try to tell the story in such a way that we can live with ourselves. But the truth is, is we're just creating walls and barriers that are keeping us from each other. And honestly, even more than that, it is crushing us with the burden that we have to carry to try to keep that all going. Here's what we get to look forward to when we live in the light. Let, let me, let's go through these four things. When we live in the light, first of all, we live in freedom. I'm telling you what, if you are carrying some secret around with you that you've shared with nobody, that is like a stake that has been planted in the ground that's holding you exactly where you're at and you cannot move until you pull that thing up. The only way to do that is to live in the light and to be honest and open. You don't have to be like David who shared his story with the whole nation, right? You don't have to be David, but you need to get that thing in the light, right? With somebody that you can trust because when you do that, you have freedom from that weight, that oppression. That thing has been, you've been holding on to. It's like a rock and it's taking you down and eventually you're, it's like laying on your chest and you can't even breathe. Live in the light because, man, you have freedom and you get to stand back up, take a full breath and know that there's nothing holding you back. No matter the fear of what it's going to be like when you're fully known, Man, there's great redemption in the midst of that. The second one is this. When we live in the light, we open ourselves up for connection. Here's the truth. You may think that people connect with you through your strengths, but that is not true. People admire your strengths. That's true. But people connect with you through your weaknesses, It's, it's, we're all created in the image of God, right? But you are not the fullness of the image of God. We all have weaknesses. It's not just our sins. It's just the fact that we're not a superhuman. We're not Jesus. We're not God, right? And so the church, actually, it says the body of Christ is like this, this tapestry that's being weaved together. When, when my strengths and your weaknesses and your strengths and my weaknesses come together, it's so rich and beautiful the fact is, is we're way stronger when we come together in the midst of that. We connect with each other through our weaknesses, not with our strengths. It's funny, when I ask my wife the things she loves about me, it's not the things that I try to put myself out there. It's not how much I deadlift, I'll tell you that much, right? It's like, man, th this, this is such a truth that we do not believe, I'll tell you that. Because we like to put our strengths out here. But people cannot connect with it. It's like trying to connect with a perfect statue. That's not real. Number three is this. It's a beautiful thing. When we live in the light, we get a witness to our neighbors who are lost. If you pretend like you've got everything put together, and then you try to take that out and share the gospel with your neighbors, they are going to see it for exactly what it is. If everything looks perfect, then what they'll know is that it is too good to be true and you're not being honest with them. We all know what that looks like, right? The truth is, is that we can share the testimony of God at work in powerful ways in our life if we're honest enough with our friends and our neighbors who are not believers to tell them about the areas in which we failed and the areas in which we're struggling and the areas in which we're still trying to see God bring fullness into our life, right? It's, it's, Dave uh, shared a story with me this week from somebody he heard where they had been trying to get uh, their friends, their neighbors to come, uh, it was a neighbor, to come to church for a long, long time. And eventually the neighbor came. And after church, they went to lunch and they were asking, this lady was asking, what was it that brought you? I've been trying to share my faith for so long. Was it that that Christmas that we, uh, you know, that I shared the, the Christmas message and read it out of the Bible, or what was it? And they're like, it wasn't any of that. It was the day that you showed up on our porch crying. 
and you had that problem that was going on. That was it. We could see that your faith was real when you had real trials and real troubles going on in your life. (laughs) When we live in the light, when we're actually honest with those who are around us, we get to show God off in ways we could never do when we're just putting up the smoke screen, right? And the fourth one is this. We get to celebrate the goodness of God at church. We are going to, we sterilize church when we pretend like we've got everything put together. In fact, the church around the nation, it's so interesting how this has become a place where you can put on the the face so easily. We walk in the church doors and it's like, How are you doing? Oh, man, it's so good. I lived in East Tennessee for a few years, and one of the good uh, southern phrases was, man, I'm finer than a frog hair split four ways. You know, that's like one of the good ones right there that I love. But it's like we have a lot of amazing ways to say we're doing awesome, right? But what about actually being real? Because when we're real with each other, I get to celebrate God's power and his work in a whole nother way because I come in and I worship him and we sing together and I know what, he's, what you're going through and you know what I'm going through. Man, it's like God is actually real. Like God's power is at work, but if I'm pretending like I've got it all together and you're pretending like you got it all together, it is a sterile environment. And I have no idea how the church can be like this when the, when the, the story of God is built on guys like David who were radically honest and vulnerable with who they were and their struggles. I think that's the quintessential reason why David in the scriptures is called a man after God's own heart. It isn't because he was perfect. He was a really bad dude in some ways, right? Like straight up murderer, okay? Man after God's own heart because of this. Now, this doesn't change any of your minds, right? You're sitting here going, okay, I get it. Like, I understand what you're saying, but I'm still afraid that when I'm fully known, I will be fully rejected. It doesn't change that. So what am I supposed to do about that? I just want to say this, that David had something right he realized, in, when we're reading through Psalm 51, go read the rest of that chapter, by the way. Didn't have time for it today. He realized the only way to get over that fear was through God. Man, God, you got to help me. That's what he came up and said over and over again. But even more than that, God built his kingdom. Like most people build an empire on the, the strongest, the smartest, the best. God built his kingdom. When he came and brought, and Jesus came to this earth, he went and he looked for the prostitutes. He went and looked for the mess-ups and the screw-ups and those who are the enemies of the state, right? And he said, hey, guess what? I'm the, you're the first ones I'm going to invite. He brought in the broken and he said, I can do something with you guys. The rest of those people, those, those religious people, they're, they're, just, they're just kidding themselves, right? You guys got something really to offer this world. I'm going to build something out of you. I want to change the world through who you are. And guess what? I'm willing to love you. And that's the only thing that can change us, right? Is the reality of how far God is willing to go to show us that we are loved. Stop judging yourself. The reason we have to stop judging ourselves is because God is not judging you. What right do we have, right? Read, let's read this together. 1 John 4 says this, verses 9 through 10. This is how we, God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And let's keep going on that. It's good. It's got a good start. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If we don't believe this, we're saying that God's sacrifice, that Jesus on the cross wasn't enough for us to actually be true and honest about who we are. God loved us so much that he was willing to do this for us. 
Not only that, like God in this, 1 John is called, it says God is love. Not that he is loving, not that he just loved us, not that he was willing to show us symbols and examples of love, but he said God is love. And 1 John 1, 18, or no, it's 418, it says 1. There is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. So I just want you guys to meditate on this. Take some time this week because if God is love and God is not judging us, then why are we still so afraid? Why are we afraid of what people are going to think? Because we are fully known. There's nothing that we can keep from God. We are fully known by him, and we are fully loved. Isn't that amazing? That is the good news. Now, it's a whole different story of actually living it out like this. And this this is what we like to do, but God is saying, no, just show this off, because I made it. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in my mother's womb, and when you were made, I said it was very good. That's the truth about who you are. I could keep talking about it, but that's, there's no point in that. We need to bring up, there's, there's this amazing story in the midst of our church. This is what we're talking about that we get to celebrate together. In the midst of our church, we've got a couple, Abby and Trevor Laborda. Go ahead and come on up. Um, they're going to share their story of what God is doing in their life and how they've actually taken radical vulnerability and authenticity to heart and are willing to share what's going on in their life in the midst of that. So thank you guys for sharing today. Okay. Um, So this was actually supposed to be a video that everybody was seeing this week. We met with the team and we sat for an hour and a half, recorded a video. It was supposed to play today. But when we walked into the first service, um, we talked to Rachel, and she said, you know what, the internet's down. The video's not working. Can you stand up here and talk? And we looked at each other, and we're like, sure, I guess. Um, I can't say no. Um, so you were supposed to see this, like, five, ten-minute video after an hour and a half of conversation that we had. Um, so there's probably a lot that I'm going to miss, hopefully going to hit on the high points, uh, but it's kind of a story of our lives and everything that we've gone through. Um, so growing up, I really knew nothing of faith. I was born and raised Catholic, but really never went to church, knew nothing of Jesus. My parents did their best, but I mean, I was, my life was wrought with sin. And just fast forward, met Abby when we were in college. And neither of us were really believers um, in anything. We just kind of lived for this world. We did everything that was fun. We looked like we had it all together. Um, I was getting ready to go into medical school. We left to, New- to go to New York so I could go to medical school. This was back in 2010. Um, and then eventually, after two years in medical school, through meeting a doctor and one of Abby's friends, she had started going to church. Um, which was great for her. I was still too important. I thought I was going to be a doctor. It was more about me than anything else. Um, So I just kept living that lie, kept studying more, kept seeing what more I could do, um, and just completely rejecting everything else because I thought I was too important. She kept going. Um, We had our first child. She kept going to church. And I remember one day I was just sitting there holding him, and kind of re-examining my life and was like, you know what, there has to be more to life than what we have right now. I don't want my son growing up in the life that I have. I don't want him going through everything that I've gone through. Um, so luckily she had still been going and one day I just decided I'm gonna go. It was really weird coming into a church where there was drums and guitars. I was used to a very formal service. Um, but it was, it was very eye-opening to me. And then eventually both of us were baptized. We moved from New York to Texas. I did more training there for three years. Our faith throughout this entire journey was just growing. Our marriage was falling apart. But looking at us, it looked like we had it together. We were, 
we were married, we looked like we were happy, we had now two kids, I was now a doctor, and it looked like we had it together, but if you really examine our lives, like it, was, it was miserable. Our marriage was very low, which is really hard to admit, because as a guy, I think I can keep it all together, I can be strong, I can lead my family, but if I try to do it on my own, I fail every time, and I tried every time, and I failed repeatedly. Um, so then in Texas, we have some more family stuff happen. A brother-in-law is diagnosed with cancer, more fights in our family. Again, our faith continues to grow. Our marriage is falling apart. We then move from Texas to New York. We've been here about a year now. Um, and then we came to K2 October of last year. So we haven't even been here a full year yet. Um, and our marriage just was going downhill. Um, again, I'm trying to fix things on my own. It's not working. So we eventually, after, when we left Texas, we decided, you know, one thing we want to do is join a small group because we've never had that community and we keep moving so often. We need friends. We need fellowship with everyone. So we decided to get into a small group. And unfortunately, it didn't happen the way that we thought it was going to happen. Um, but Abby wanted to talk about this part. So I'll let her share. Um, so we started going, well, let me back up. New York, we started going to church. Texas, we were like, okay, we need to get in a Bible study. We need to kind of dig in a little bit more. And then when we moved here, we had already had like a history of, okay, we have done all these things, but when we move here, we are joining a small group. Like we just knew that that's something that we needed to do because we have no family here. We didn't have friends here. And we just knew that that would be a great way to dig into church, to find community, to find friends. Um, so in February of this year actually was the lowest point, not the lowest point of our marriage, but one of the lowest points on the way. Um, and in February, he was away at a conference in Florida and he left and we were fighting and it just never ended over text message, over phone call. Like it was just bad news. On top of it, my grandma had passed away. Um, and I called Christine because we had decided we were going to go into their group. And I called Christine and I was like, okay. I'm a mess. I don't have it together. My marriage is falling apart. Things are terrible. My husband's away. My grandma just passed away. Like, I don't want to come to your group, but I know that this is what I need to do. So I went to a marriage group by myself, and we started going there in February. And we've been, we've been in this group since then. Um, we did a great study over the spring, and then in the summer, our leaders decided we needed to kind of open up with our the other couples that were in our group, and tell our stories and just be vulnerable with each other. So we started to do that, and one of the couples shared their story, and it was absolutely amazing just to hear them. While we couldn't relate to their exact situation, we got in the car and we just let loose on each other. Like, we started fighting, started arguing, and just had it out. And so I'll let Trevor finish. Thank you. Um. <laughs> So keep in mind that, so our small group was sharing this. This was what we wanted to do over the summer. Everyone is going to be vulnerable. And we've only had a couple, two couples who have shared. We were supposed to be next in line. We've been trying to share this for a month to a month and a half now. The date has been set three times, and every time it gets canceled for some reason. Um, so we, until the first service, had not shared this story because we were hoping to only share it with our small group, but this is now out to everybody. Um, so now our small group is hearing it for the first time, just like everybody else is. Um, but Abby's right. We got in the car just arguing constantly for hours and hours until 2 in the morning. But the sum of our argument was she did not feel loved. She felt used, and she felt like I was manipulating her, um, which I know I've heard before because we've had those arguments before. But for some reason, this one actually sunk in and really made me think about what was going on because for years I've tried to fix things on my own. It has never worked. I would occasionally ask God to come in, try to intervene, but I still thought that I could do it on my own. So I never fully gave it over to him. Um, so this time I figured we are at an all-time low. I need to just turn it over to him. Lead me, show me what I need to do because you can restore all, you can fix all, so just show me. Um, so I was led to a few verses, and the one 
that I want to share in particular is um, Ephesians 5, 13. It is, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So that was kind of revealed to me throughout this whole process. And this actually just, all this started three months ago. Okay, so this is all still very fresh. This isn't two, three years ago. This is all very fresh. Um, so that was revealed to me, and then I just decided I'm turning everything over. What more can I do? And then another verse was revealed to me, and it was 1 Corinthians 7. It's like 4 through 6, and it talks about marriage. It talks about how the wife does not have authority over her body. The husband does not have authority over his body. Um, but then it also talks about do not deprive each other, except perhaps of mutual consent, talking about intimacy. Um, and if you do this, then you're supposed to devote yourself to prayer. So I brought this up to Abby, and I was like, you know, is this, I feel led to do this, but it says mutually we're supposed to do this. She said, no way. I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. I said, that's fine. That's what I feel led to do, so that's what I'm doing, um, which was difficult because I'm a man, and that's what I love, and it's my wife. But I decided that I was going to abstain from any intimacy because I wanted to devote myself because I need him to fix our marriage because we are at an all-time low. So just started praying, started reading verses, reading the Bible, listening to sermons nonstop. And I wish I had an hour and a half to share all this, but I don't. I have like two, three more minutes. But so many things were, were revealed to me, mainly that if I want to become who God wants me to be, I have to do essentially what Derek said. I have to really reevaluate my life, tell the truth, and be real. Because we can look like we have it together, but we really don't. Just like everyone, like you try to put up a front, everyone's broken inside. And if we are okay with doing that, then it, like you can actually live in the light. So I would pray repeatedly, okay, God, illuminate all the dark areas of my life. What do you want me to know from my past that I need to share? Because he already knows them. So it doesn't matter if he knows them, but I knew that I had to share them with Abby, which terrified me. Um, so I had to go back through my past, had to go back, and one day, one night, just decided, okay, God, you've put me in this place. Now it's time for me to share. I have this whole list of things, and I wrote a list down, and was like, okay, here we go. I'm sorry I'm bringing this to you, and I'm completely bombarding you with all of this, but... I feel led to do this and just brought up past issues with my insecurities. There are issues with pornography, anger, all these other things. And then brought up in my past in New York, um, I had an inappropriate relationship with a woman that worked in the hospital. Luckily for me, it did not progress into a physical relationship, but there was definitely an emotional relationship there. Um, which was really hard to admit and really hard to admit to Abby. She had known some of it, but not the full extent. And I knew that if I wanted our lives to be changed and our marriage to be better, that I had to be completely honest with her and tell her everything. So I did, um, which was very difficult. But this is now, again, there's so many more things that I wish I could share. Um, this has been the lowest part of our marriage, but honestly, the highest part because we've both been able to re-examine our lives, go through our past, be completely honest with one another, and show each other who we really are, and actually live for who God wants us to actually be, which is a completely different way of living and thinking. Um, so, I mean, it's amazing to be able to actually live in the light and to feel loved in the light. Um, but it, it's just so much more for me now that I'm reading daily and praying daily and actually trying to change how I think about everything. Um, but it, it, luckily, I have a wife who was forgiving. I mean, there were times that she was angry, but I don't hold that against her because I would be angry too. Um, but very loving, forgiving, caring. So it was absolutely amazing to go through this difficult process to be a low in our marriage, but honestly to be the highest point that we've ever been in. Um, but this is all great to hear it from me, 
because I was the guy who was like very transformed throughout the whole thing. I wasn't the one who had to take all the punishment. Um, so I thought it'd be good. And Derek really wanted us to have Abby share kind of how she felt through this whole process. Do I have to share? Because it's kind of obvious. But um, it, this past three months has been terrible. Like, honestly, it has sucked. Um, I've been at a low personally just because this wasn't um, like a transformation for me because I just have been broadsided by all of this information. Um, but I believe that God restores all things. And I know that God brings and wants unity in my marriage and wants unity between Trevor and I and between Trevor and God and myself and God. And I know, I know that there will be restoration. Um, I have felt like I'm not enough. I'm a believer. I know that I'm enough. God has told me that I am enough. And so I know through hardship and I know through these trials and I know through all of these downs and I know that being on the receiving end, like it's really terrible. But God is there for everyone and God will bring light and will restore things to every everything if we live in the light. So I just, I just like pray for everybody to just examine your hearts and just be real with yourself and real with God. Because honestly, I have a lot of dark secrets that I can't share right now, but um, another day. Um, but just bringing it to the light just lets you live in freedom. And it's just so powerful. So thank you for letting us share our story with you today.